Welcome to The Scientist Speaks, a podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team. Our podcast is by scientists and for scientists. Once a month, we bring you the stories behind newsworthy molecular biology research. As we know far too well, infectious disease pandemics have the power to reshape the world. Thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, we are observing pathogen evolution in real time as more variants arise and spread in waves. Another infamous infectious disease pandemic, simply called the plague, has popped up multiple times in history. How it changed the ancient world has intrigued both historians and scientists. In this episode, Nikki Spodge from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Simon Rasmussen, an associate professor at the University of Copenhagen, to learn about his work tracking ancient plague-causing bacteria. Historians have recorded three historic human pandemics caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis. The first pandemic likely began with an outbreak known as the Plague of Justinian in 541 AD and continued intermittently for 200 years. The second and best known plague pandemic started with the Black Death in Europe in 1347 AD. After killing up to half the European population in four years, the disease became endemic in certain areas of the world and caused waves of localized epidemics over the next several hundred years. The third plague pandemic emerged in China in 1850 and spread across the world until the middle of the 20th century. Yersinia pestis reservoirs are still present in wild rodents, the bacteria's host of choice. So plague cases still occasionally make the news in areas including Madagascar, India, and the United States. Luckily, Yersinia pestis is susceptible to modern antibiotics, and the bacterial strains in circulation today are less virulent than their ancient pandemic-causing counterparts. Ancient waves of infectious diseases are often thought to play major political and economic roles. For example, some historians think that the plague of Justinian weakened the Byzantine Empire at a critical point when the emperor's armies were attempting to spread into Western Europe. Earlier plagues in history may be responsible for a surprising population decline that occurred between the Stone and Bronze Ages. These historical changes in ancient societies led researchers like Simon Rasmussen to investigate the origins of the Yersinia pestis plague. Just imagine living back then and not knowing anything about bacteria or infections and then thinking that this is some kind of wrath from God or just not understanding what is happening and all of a sudden this disease comes in and kills up to half of the individuals that are living in Europe. I've always found it to be interesting, how did that come about? How does a bacteria or a pathogen go from not being very deadly to actually becoming one of the most pathogenic bacteria in the world? At the end of the Stone Age, farming practices spread across Eurasia, and humans made many technological innovations, including pottery, animal traction, and the wheel. During this Neolithic period, humans established widespread trade networks, connecting previously independent populations. As populations increased, people developed mega-settlements, where upwards of 10 to 20,000 individuals lived in close contact. Human society seemed to be progressing until, suddenly, Western Eurasia experienced a mysterious population collapse 5 to 6,000 years ago, today termed the Neolithic Decline. Archaeological evidence shows that the mega-settlements were burned and permanently abandoned. This Neolithic decline leads to a migration from the Russian steppes near the Caspian Sea. There's this migration of people and also ideas into Europe. 
The big question is how could they come in and basically just take over? This is not something that people are just likely to allow other people to come in and take over your world, right? There seems to be something happening. There's a lot of people dying. What we thought about was, could this be a disease? We, of course, knew about the Black Death back in the 1300s. This kind of looked a little bit like that, right? But nobody knew if plague had existed back then. To answer this question, Rasmussen dove into data obtained from ancient remains. He worked with S.K. Villerslev, a pioneer in ancient DNA research, to analyze DNA extracted from the teeth of ancient human remains. Researchers have an easier time extracting samples from ancient teeth because, thanks to protection from enamel, DNA is less likely to break down after spending thousands of years in the soil compared to DNA in the bone. Blood vessels also extend through the roots of the teeth, which gives researchers a view into what was in the bloodstream of ancient individuals. Rasmussen's samples were from individuals living in the Late Stone Age to the Bronze Age from across Asia and Europe. There were more than 150 of these individuals that were screened and a lot of data were produced. We had more than 100 billion small DNA fragments. When you do this kind of analysis, only a small part of the DNA that you read is actually from the humans. It dawned on us, we're not using almost 99% of the data. Maybe we could find something else in the data. And so I've been working a lot with metagenomics, which is a field where you investigate what DNA is present in a sample. And that sample could be your gut microbiome or DNA from the soil. It could be DNA from water. That's like a very powerful approach to investigate which bacteria are there, but also what can they do. To make use of this non-human sequence data, Rasmussen and colleagues decided to investigate the origins of the plague. They used a modern Yersinia pestis reference genome sequence to screen for evidence of the bacteria. Surprisingly, Rasmussen and his team found a plague DNA in 7 out of 101 ancient samples. This number, combined with the time span and geographic distribution, suggested that the plague was widespread three millennia earlier than historically recorded and around the time of the mysterious Neolithic decline. The Yersinia pestis strains of the three recorded pandemics and those present today can cause three different types of plague. Pneumonic plague, where bacteria infects the lungs and spreads person-to-person -person via respiratory droplets. The more common bubonic plague, spread through flea bites, where patients exhibit swollen lymph nodes called buboes. And septicemic plague, which occurs when Yersinia pestis enters the bloodstream. The most common form of plague transmission comes from flea bites. As fleas bite infected mammals, they ingest bacteria-laden blood into their stomachs and pass the bacteria on as they bite their next victim. By analyzing the ancient Yersinia pestis genomes, Rasmussen developed a time series for the genetic acquisition of pathogenic elements that brought the ancient plague to a more virulent state. What we found was that these different ways that plague can manifest itself evolved at different time points. You can also say in which order they evolved. The ancestral plague that we found, it actually lacked some of the key genes for being able to transmit or to survive inside fleas. The earliest plague strains, you got infected by either eating something or you got infected by droplets. And then it was primarily a pneumonic plague. What we can see is that over time, because we know some of the genes that are involved in the ability of the plague to survive inside the flea, right? For some of them, it has to acquire genes for other 
it knocks out other genes. And we can basically pinpoint in which order does this happen. One of the genes that Rasmussen tracked was YMT, which encodes an enzyme required for survival in the flea gut. Without it, the bacteria lose the ability to use fleas as a disease vector. Genome reconstructions show that the ancient strains lacked YMT, which means that they were not able to cause the highly transmissible bubonic disease. Flanking the missing gene regions were two transposable elements, which suggests that, at a later date, the bacteria acquired YMT by horizontal gene transfer, a process where genetic material is transmitted between organisms. Modern plague strains do not express flagella, complex thread-like structures that enable bacteria to swim, due to mutation in the regulatory gene FLHD. The loss of flagella allows Yersinia pestis to keep a low profile and avoid the immune response, which contributes to its pathogenicity. Rasmussen found that his ancient strains lack the FLDH mutation, suggesting that they probably had produced flagella and were potentially more easily detected by the immune system. However, one of the ancient strains had a large-scale deletion of 39 genes necessary for flagella formation. This suggests that various strains emerged with variable characteristics and pathogenicity. First, we have a plague strain that primarily transmits via pneumonic plague. Then you have all these events happening and it kind of gets more and more optimized for spreading. And then it ends up being able to transmit by fleas and then also being able to cause bubonic plague. And there's also some key changes in the genome that enables it to do that. You can really see that many of these proteins, they were the ancestral state, non-pathogenic state, and then we see how it's optimized. I think it's really interesting because it's what we see with COVID today. We have sequenced a lot of the strains and you really see the same thing, right? That it's evolving and this is happening all the time. And this was something that dawned on me when we did this analysis. These pathogens, they haven't always been here, right? Many of them have evolved in the last 10,000 years when we started living together in larger groups with farming and so on. This is something that's still going on, right? And we see that with Ebola, we have it with HIV, we have it with SARS and also with COVID. This is like a constant force that keeps evolving new pathogens. Rasmussen's analysis suggested that a version of the pneumonic plague was present around the time of the mysterious Neolithic decline at the end of the Stone Age. Even though the ancient plague strains were seemingly not as harmful as their modern counterparts, perhaps plague outbreaks contributed to the population decline and facilitated the movement of new people into Europe. To continue his exploration, he searched for the plague in even older samples that had been previously sequenced by other research groups. All these ancient DNA samples that have been sequenced and published, all the data is publicly available. So we download all the data and all of a sudden, in a sample that had been sequenced 10 years ago, we actually found evidence of some plague strains that were even older than the ones we found in the first paper. From this ancient DNA data, his team assessed 78 individuals found in a burial site at a farm settlement in western Sweden during the Neolithic period. The individuals were all buried within a span of 200 years, a relatively short time period for the amount of people. Rasmussen thought that an epidemic event may explain the large number of people buried together, so he looked for pathogenic bacteria in the sequencing data. He found Yersinia pestis in two individuals. While these strains were older than what he had found previously, their genomes were relatively similar in terms of the virulent phenotype they may have displayed. Finding the oldest known strain of Yersinia pestis in Sweden, 
didn't align with previously proposed models of plague spread, where the bacteria was proposed to spread across Eurasia via human migration. To explain how the plague got to Scandinavia, Rasmussen shifted his analysis back to human data from a broad range of archaeological sites. There had been some previous hypothesis that it was the migrations that had spread plague around. The nice thing about working with this kind of data is that we both have the plague genome, we also have the human genomes. We can deconstruct the human genomes or we can categorize the human genomes into groups. And then we can look at the individuals living at these sites where we found plague. What we could see is that this was not consistent with migration because when you see the migration, then you also see a change in the composition of the human genomes. And we didn't see that. It didn't follow the same pattern. The strain we found in Sweden, right, that's the oldest strain, both in age, but also the most ancestral genome. We don't really believe that it arose there. If the bacteria didn't arise originally in Sweden, and they didn't arrive by human migration, then where did they come from? By combining the phylogenetic Yersinia pestis strain information with genetic, migratory, and archaeological evidence from ancient humans, Rasmussen's team proposed that mega-settlements in Eastern Europe from the Trapilia culture were the most likely candidates for the emergence of this most ancestral strain of plague. Also, there's evidence for trade among many of these ancient European sites. The archaeological record indicates that there was indirect contact between the Trapilia culture and the populations infected with Yersinia pestis in Sweden. Interestingly, there's overlap between the estimated time of early Yersinia pestis spread through Europe and the collapse of the Trapilia megasettlements, which suggests that the plague affected the Trapilia first. While evidence from multiple research areas support this hypothesis, there's still a lot of work ahead to piece together this ancient puzzle. For our hypothesis to hold that the Neolithic decline was in some way caused, or that at least plague played a role in it, then we would need to find plague in more samples, right? And also samples that are not only in Sweden and in the other parts of Europe where we have already found it, but quite widespread. We are finding more and more of these plague samples, and not only our group, but it's many, many groups that are finding these plague samples. But still, the oldest one is around 5,000 years ago, and we haven't found anything older. There's also a limitation of how far can we go back, because we can only find it when people die from it. So we can only really find it after it starts killing people. We probably can't go that much further back. If we can, that would be amazing to try to get closer to where did it arise. And then there are all these other pandemics that are caused by some disease that we don't know. Would, of course, be interesting to see if that was also plague. Thank you for listening to The Scientist Speaks. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Nikki Spodge. Please join us for our next episode as we learn about lipidomics-based biomarker discovery for neurodegenerative disorders. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.